Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. I'm Monica, and I'm your host. Today is May 31st, 2011. And today we have a very, very special guest. We have Jack Trimpey, who is the founder of Rational Recovery. He's written books. Uh, the book's most recent book is The Art of Avert, A-V-R-T. Um, we have Rational Recovery, the New Cure for Addiction, and the small book, which is, I guess, your older book, uh, A Revolutionary Alternative for Overcoming Alcohol and Drug Dependence. Uh, the review on the back says here, Rational Recovery Systems is a secular mental health program for those who want to stop drinking but are turned off by the suggestion that they need divine intervention to help Trimpey's Rational Recovery Program stresses choice and self-determination. And this book came out quite a while ago. It looks like uh, in 89. And uh, I'm sorry that I, it took me so long to find all these other alternatives. But that's okay. I'm finding them now. And the main purpose of my show originally was uh, to sort of deal with 13-stepping, sexual harassment, and predators in AA, but has been transformed to something else that is called safe recovery, where there is support for alternatives to AA and 12-step program that is both uh, secular and spiritual. And so far, everybody has been secular, and I think that's fabulous because the world needs to know they do not need to turn over their will in their lives to become abstinent from any addiction which I just love. So I'm going to bring Jack on right now. Here I Hi, am. Jack. You're on, you're on the air. I'm right here. You're here. Hi. Yes. Is the static gone you mentioned? Yeah, it's better. Good. Good. We're all clear. So I actually have a question for you because I'm newer to you than many of the bloggers that are out there that know you and talk about you. So can we start with a, a question that I have for you? Yeah, I, I, I love questions of all kinds. Okay, good. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show and being my guest. I really appreciate it. And um would like to say that your newest book actually really helped me personally, uh, which we can – I'll get into maybe later. But what I want to say is that creating a new a program, something different, is a huge undertaking, right? It's um, – so I was curious as to what motivated you to do this, and how did you, how did it come about? The inspiration and what you did. When uh, when we started, by, uh, Rational Recovery is a, a production of Jack and Lois Trimpey, mm-hmm. and uh, essentially it's something that she set into motion, not I, mm-hmm. uh, by confronting me one day with the decision I had to make 
which was uh, you have to choose now, Jack, between your addiction and the Trimpy family. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she set the ball in motion, and I uh, rose to the occasion. I, it was a very painful, angering uh, question for her to, or uh, you know, decision for her to put on me. But I rose to the occasion and made a decision that I would uh, never drink again, and then found my way uh, during the coming years uh, to to a uh, a good recovery, which means you learn how to live as a normal uh, human being without the option to get high. It's a very mm-hmm. simple growing process, very spontaneous, requires right. no script reading or emotional or you know no uh, moral kindergarten or anything like that. It's uh, a growing up process, and it's, uh, it's quite rapid. But uh, when we started, uh, when Lois and I started it, um, we didn't have any idea what we were uh, getting into, what we mm-hmm. would learn and discover. At the time, uh, I was uh, still deeply involved in the clinical mindset. I'm a, uh, a licensed counselor here in California. Mm-hmm. I've worked in community psychiatry and uh, community mental health for decades. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, my clinical background led me to make some decisions early on that uh, caught up with me inevitably. And one was the uh, adoption or the replacement of the genetic and uh, medical disease model of addiction with the psychological disease model of addiction. And Mm -hmm. uh, that was an error which has since been corrected. And the other error was to choose to perpetuate the recovery group format, which is uh, inherently uh, contradicts what's required in order to defeat an addiction and then move on uh, with your life on a level playing field. Right. So uh, those two errors, uh, it took a number of years, probably six, eight uh, years down the track before it finally became very obvious that when people were uh, I, I would talk to them on the telephone, and uh, they'd say, gee, Jack, it's really great to have rational recovery now. I have a new recovery home, mm-hmm. and I've been coming back here for three years, and uh, it's been really great. And uh, I realized immediately that I didn't do that. I didn't uh, have rational recovery to go to. Mm-hmm. In fact, I didn't go to any meetings myself. And here I was... Uh, mm. Uh, suggesting that I am different from the people who would become consumers of rational recovery, that they would go to meetings and have uh, a uh, a philosophical reconditioning uh, using cognitive psychology, but I didn't have to do that. Uh, so this uh, contrast in me, the clinician, and the uh, the public who were the consumers was invisible to me <laughs> and yeah. because that's my clinical mindset. When you're a clinician, you look at other people as being not like me. That, that's the, essentially, I mean, they're like me in some respects, but uh, I'm the provider and they're the consumer. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, uh, when that finally uh, came into focus, then, 
a lot of things began to fall into place, which very quickly uh, uh, weakened and then destroyed the uh, the recovery group network. It was called Rational Recovery uh, Self-Help Network. We had groups in a thousand cities during the mid-1990s. Mm-hmm. And uh, we finally had to send out uh, letters to the facilitators and coordinators uh, saying, thank you very much, but uh, we're now disbanding the Rational Recovery Self-Help Network because it's counter to the purposes of uh, addiction recovery. Now, so, all of this is uh, yeah. a reflection of ADRT, which I think is the main topic for uh, our discussion this evening. Mm-hmm. What is ADRT? How does it work? And how yeah. can I do it? Yeah, that, that's the, the... But you had... What were you saying? Yeah, no, I was just thinking because, you know, my background was that I came in to actually stopped on my own and then went to AA. And But what I saw that to me didn't make any sense was, like, I'm sure in the beginning, like, there were not 90 meetings in 90 days. People didn't go to three meetings a day. They met once a week in somebody's home, and they mm-hmm. still had a life. So that it, I really saw, uh, for me, as if you don't know, that I, you know, have left it now, but looking at the insanity of, you know, people thinking that going to more is better and, you know, um, that it isn't. And yeah. uh, Although I do like groups and, um, it, you know, I think that some people need them. I think there's a certain type of man like my dad uh, or my stepdad who hated them and hated AA because of the same things that I read about you. Um, but... Uh, so let's talk, let's talk about what you want to talk about. We have somebody, there's a lot of people in the chat room. Yeah, I want people to uh, to feel free or somehow ask ask questions as we go along. Oh, okay. All right. So you hear that if everybody, um, did, did anybody not stop drinking and then go to AA, somebody said, um, did anybody not stop? <laughs> He's making a joke, okay? You're making <laughs> um So... Let's bring on, uh, we have a caller, so he's got his hand up. Well, there's someone else, too, there, but he doesn't have his hand up. So let's bring on this caller. Um, Let me see. Click it on there. Hi, you're on air. Hi, hello. Hi. Hi. Yes, I can hear you. Wow, I'm talking to Jack Trempe. Hi, Monica. Hi, Hi, Jack. Can I call you you Jack? Yes, what's your first name? Uh, I go by Gunther on on the web, but uh, you can call me Todd. Okay, Todd. I have to say uh, you were definitely instrumental. Um, I don't know how far you've gone as far as renouncing the small book, but that was the book that really opened the door for me um, quite a few years back. Even after I read it, it still took me a, a couple of years to wiggle out of the mental straitjacket. Yeah, but you definitely planted a seed that uh, that definitely changed my life. You know, once once the truth was A-B- revealed A-B-R-T to me, then, uh, was, ABRT was in its infancy back then, and what happened with you, uh, this, the seed of ABRT grew in you as it did with me and everybody who hears about it, because it, it naturally progresses once you get the hang of what we're saying then your life experience will tend to fill out your consciousness into what I call human consciousness as opposed to the uh, the animal consciousness 
of addiction, the addictive state. Well, I think I used used kind of the basics of ABRT. Um, I I actually moved on and read some other stuff. Once once you had opened that door or pulled back that curtain, then I I became very interested in alternatives. And uh, one thing... I've read a few things you've written or commentaries about you, and um, sometimes, I'm not trying to be critical here, but I just want to oh, get to the do. bottom of this. Please, please well, be critical. There's no, no problem to pull punches. Well, you know, there's a, a current trend that I went with, which uh, leans more towards what they call individualized recovery plans. And the belief is that there's, the common belief is that there's, usually some type of underlying issue that contributes to the vulnerability um, the vulnerability to relapse. Yeah. And um, it seems to me, sometimes I've I read some of your stuff and it, it almost seems, I, I don't know where to draw the line between the idea that we just quit drinking and then we're no longer alcoholic or how I don't know what, how you would phrase that, but um, between that or that we actually need to take it, you know, because it's been like five years for me, and uh, and I'm still dealing with those underlying issues. So that was that was my first question: was what do you think of this trend, and uh, how does that mesh in with ABRT? And if I could just throw one more question at you would be about the Sinclair method. What do you think of the physiological ideas um, behind the Sinclair method, and are you familiar with them? I have no idea what the Sinclair method is. The, the use of naltrexone. Right. Well, that that would be a, a foolish idea, to to fight chemicals with chemicals. It doesn't... Uh, naltrexone is worthless. I'm sure you're aware of that that all, all of the uh, meta-studies of what they've done with naltrexone shows that it has a very uh, unsuccessful uh, in the medium range. In other words, initially there's a lot of uh, uh, either placebo effect or some uh, be- apparent benefit, which quickly then uh, goes away with all of the, the, uh, the addiction, so-called addiction-fighting drugs, uh, so, uh, and not, they're all based, by the way, on the uh, false premise that addicted people are powerless over their bodily desires and that there are many hidden issues, like you're referring to, uh, that underlie uh, addiction, um, like a layer cake, I guess. But well, uh, I think once seen, Go ahead. I think he didn't. You use naltrexone, and it helped you. Yes, I I was going to ask. What, what if I believe that naltrexone helped me, and I really do believe it did. Um, well, it, I think the studies you may be referring to the most, and I, I can't name studies, but I guess um, from what I've heard, most of the common studies are based on using naltrexone after you've quit drinking, rather than the Sinclair method, which which suggests that you take it while you drink, and it causes right. an extinction of cravings. Yeah, you're looking at yourself as a specimen rather than a uh, a person who's has free will to make choices and stick by them. 
you're saying I am a biological outcome, my behavior is uh, a biologically determined uh, thing. If I medicate my behavior, then I can stop doing bad things through medicine. And that's one way of looking at it, and that's fine for people that, like, you like that, so that's that's fine for you. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, and uh, I, I did say originally that the initial uh, effect is very good, that people have the sense that they're benefiting. They're also quite self-conscious of their desires, and they're just the, the fact that they are now monitoring addictive desire itself is actually a form of ABRT, where you learn to recognize mm. addictive desire in your thought processes. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's something else going on here that may be more immediately beneficial than even these drugs that uh, purport to um, uh, reduce uh, relapses. Now, I can ask you a question. You've asked me a few, and it might yes. help. You there? Yes. Go for it. Okay, here's here's a question. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, what's your plan for the future use of alcohol and other drugs that get you high? Abstinence. Okay, now, uh, on, on a scale of uh, zero to 100% confidence where you know you'll never use again, how would you rate your confidence? I'd rate my confidence at somewhere around 100%. Okay. I, I have no desire to drink whatsoever. I've, uh, Supposing you did have a desire. Well, as soon as I say, supposing I did have a desire, then I'm opening the door to the possibility no, that I could have is, a desire. This is where there, there's a huge disconnect here. And uh, in ABRT, we're, we welcome desire, whereas you fear desire, we welcome it. And the AV is a, a welcome intruder. It comes into our consciousness and says, whoa, boy, that would be good. Love. Go go get a little bit. Uh, we can handle it if, you, if we're careful, blah, blah, blah. And we're not afraid of that because we know what it is. Mm-hmm. The addictive voice, which is driven by the desire, the physical desire for the pleasure of, produced by alcohol. And, uh, you know, the, the, the ideal that we're working with is that uh, as adults, we learn to live comfortably with uh, strong bodily desires that we uh, do not uh, act upon. So we can go to the supermarket when we're hungry and not be eating the strawberries off the uh, vegetable counter. We can can, uh, board the city bus without fear that we'll be plunging the necklines of attractive female ca- passengers. We have uh, <coughs> robust desires, robust, healthy, physical desires for pleasure, and we don't fear them because we have principles that we stand by. Now, in addiction, uh, there's a problem that develops because addictions feel so good that underneath it all, uh, the AV or this, the beast that we call, you know, this physical presence, says, well, anything that feels that good can't be wrong. It's not really wrong. It's really innocent uh, behavior, kind of like a relapse of a disease. It's not immoral. It's not wrong to drink. I, I'm entitled to have relapses like I'm entitled to have tumors if I have cancer. 
So it's uh, a different it's a, the, a different realm of thought, and we're separating the two in ABRT into the animal mentality, which is biological determinism to the T, kind of like your uh, description of yourself. And then there's the human realm, which is based more on family values, the things that you learned as a little boy, that there is a right and wrong in our behavior, and that the pursuit of pleasure at the expense of others, in your family especially, and also at the expense of your own independence future, this is wrong. It's just wrong. And the reason you don't do it is because it's wrong. So uh, it's a different paradigm than the clinical model. As I told you before, I'm a long-term, uh, a, a journeyman clinician, so I'm uh, quite at home in that clinical realm, but it has very poor applicability in the, in the field of addictions. There's a lot of mystery, a lot of biobabble, a lot of uh, called PBS, which is the not not the uh, news channel on PBS, but the uh, PBS <laughs> with us is the psychological bullshit syndrome, which uh, talks about hidden causes and underlying triggers and and uh, issues and so forth. I'm still working on issues and and all that. When there's no issues, either you're going to drink or you're not going to drink. And that's why I asked you, are you going to drink or not? Now, you say not, but there's a, a, a mother load of, uh, of um, self-doubt in there because if I ever did have the desire, who's to say what I might do? Well, so I, I, I don't believe I'd have the desire. I mean, I, I pretty much feel like well, it's been well, erased. I've really you, dealt with Remember this the pleasure of drinking, can't you? Do you remember uh, the early drinking days when it was so terrific? I, I, right now, my uh, cost-benefit analysis is on uh, do automatic. Do you remember the pleasure it's of drinking? It's on automatic. Do you remember well, the pleasure? I guess I could dig it out, yeah. I, I, I can't hard lie. I can remember that I had some good times, but I had much more bad times, I think. Right, but after the pleasure. See, the, the bad times come after you get high. In order to get into the bad times, you have to get high, and what goes up comes down and often leaves a crater. Uh, it often is quite painful coming back down and finding yourself in jail or divorced or robbed or shot or frozen or something like that. So it's, it's a, um, a part of addiction that is suppressed. The, the pleasure principle, which is the, the prime mover of addiction, is denied, and we call that original denial. It's original denial, and addicted people, contrary to public opinion, are not in denial about anything. They know damn well why they're in trouble. I was drunk. They know damn well why they're getting divorced. Was my wife can't stand my drinking. She tells me flat out. Yeah, you know what? I I, I want to here because I think it's really important that um, we start to whether it's you or. SOS or Women for Sobriety or any of the other alternatives that need to be out in our need better PR because what I see happening here, and I don't know if it's because I'm in Los Angeles that it's so bad, but you have people going to SLOA meetings, which are sex and love addicts, uh, talking about being powerless 
over they do with sex, over what they do with their, you know, this it's insane. It's in the level of 12-step culture and mentality, Jack, and this is somebody who was, you know, in that program for over three decades. I'm kind of embarrassed to say, uh, it's more of a joke, but anyway, um, that it is disgusting to, to hear and see adults that are educated, that are in their 40s, that are parents, that have children, who are sitting around talking about being powerless and listening to other adults who don't know any more than they do, who don't have any Ph.D. or LCSW after their names, telling them how to live their lives. And, you know, I can bash this program all I want on the blogs, which I've needed to do, but I think it's more important that whatever you have to share and all the other alternatives and maybe the one that I'm going to create need to be, you know, spoken about in the TV shows, be written about in the L.A. Times so that we don't have, you know, 300, 600 people sitting in a meeting in Los Angeles like a bunch of cult slaves. It's insane. Uh, it would be wonderful if if people could finally be uh, asked very directly, mm-hmm. what is your plan for the future use of alcohol and other drugs? Mm-hmm. When people, see, the reason of asking it is to make them responsible for their drinking. Uh, if people say, "Well, I, uh, I I may have relapses," well, then they're planning to they're leaving the option open to have relapses. Right. I'd also mm-hmm. say, "Well, I'm out of relapses now. My wife just told me that uh, one more relapse and I'm out. So I'm I'm out of relapses. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to get better or leave the family. Uh, my next drink is my way of leaving the family." because that's the way it is now. And then I have a choice, and it's a painful choice. But when we make the choice and rise to the occasion, wonderful things happen. First of all, we don't have any purpose in sitting around meetings. If I say I'm not going to drink, and I, I can guarantee you that I won't, and see, that's the big, the big difference is I guarantee people I'll never drink again makes a huge difference in the way other people see us. First, they don't believe us, of course. It sounds awful to say that. You know, that mm-hmm. They, they uh, say, well, yeah, I've heard that a hundred times. But then with the passage of time, your word of honor gains currency. It gains value. It gains interest. And pretty soon your word of honor is gold among people that you want to trust you. Now, if I'm leaving the option open year after year to have yummy relapses any time I feel like it just because I think I have an issue or life isn't going my way, then I can't be trusted. I'm a kind of a, a walking time bomb waiting to go off uh, for reasons that are inexplicable. It just uh, I may get drunk and say, oh, my goodness, I, I had a relapse, Your Honor. And they say, well, as long as you tell your sponsor, uh, then you're always oh. in the... Uh, oh, in my the- God. Oh, you know, it, it's just somebody actually, we were told this, that a judge actually asked somebody if they had... Oh, this was a, a friend of mine or, you know, somebody lives in my neighborhood. They had a sponsor, you know, or uh, that the judge said that to somebody, actually. And, like, this is the kind of stuff that needs to stop. That a judge in Los Angeles, California, the United States of America, is asking somebody if they have a sponsor? Do they know what some of those sponsors have done 
to people. Up in Butte County, up here, uh, Butte County is north of Sacramento. The judge, I, I was sitting in the courtroom, and he said to somebody, uh, he said, uh, you, you are sentenced to 90 meetings in 90 days, and I will see you there. Oh. Is that Santa, I, Santa Maria? Butte County. No. Oh, okay. Cause this, but actually, I realized the, the judge that I met at a conference was a non um, AA. I want to give the number out. I realize there's so many people in the chat room, and if somebody is not at a computer, it's 818 475 9211 is the call in number. It's 818-475-9211. Do you have another question you want to ask something else? Todd, are we done? Yeah, I I have another question. Um, Okay. It's it's along the the same lines as what I was asking before, but just I'll personalize it a little bit if I can. Now, I've been almost five years sober, Jack, and um, I've been operating under, under the idea that, now, I have a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder and major depression, severe and recurrent. Mm-hmm. And I've been operated, uh, operating under the idea that these were the contributing factors that caused me to want to run away from life. Yeah, um, I know. I'm aware of that. So, yes, and, and so wow. that the underlying issues... now. I'm also very confident right now to say, you know, I guess I said 99% sure, but I have no desire to drink whatsoever. You're also saying um, if I, I do, I might. So in, you're depending upon the desire to remain uh, away from you, to, to, to go away, which is uh, a very odd, is a very peculiar thing that you would suddenly uh, not desire a pleasure that was so rich and abundant in your life for so long. Addiction, substance addiction, is pleasure addiction. This is not only said because they say, no, 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 it's innocent, don't you think? Don't you see? This is a symptom of issues. Horrible psychological issues are driving these poor victims to drink, their favorite drink, by the way, but nevertheless, to drink as if it's medicine. It sure doesn't, you know, it doesn't doesn't even resemble medicine because, well, if you've been drunk, you know. Well, and well I, if you're I have, a, with I have issues a... that just torture the hell out of you. Then you can kind of shut it down temporarily, and alcohol works. Yeah. Well, alcohol wanna... always produces the this this uh, torrential pleasure, small amounts also uh, disable your moral functioning. So the first thing to go is the uh, the plan to have just one. So this is why we're abstinence-based, and we tend to be very, uh, you talk about brutal honesty. Uh, I drank for all the clinical reasons in the book, but it was all, it was all about pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I could drink because I was uh, alone, lonely or depressed or angry, all those reasons. But it was always, as soon as I would uh, imagine what I was going to do, which is you know, get down and get a bottle of Jim Beam, as soon as I knew I was going to drink, I felt on top of the world. I, I had no problems. I did. I was no longer angry. I was. But, I mean, my depression would fly away in a second as soon as I decided to, that I was going to drink. Well, so when I, rose, when I took the bottle to my lips, my blood alcohol was zero, but I was feeling on top of the world. So... Where's the where's the underlying issue? Well, 
it was a well-worn path to the bottle, and that's all. Okay, so I want to jump in here. This is what I... I, I Hi, if I can. Um, so I, I I think that this is what Todd is getting to because I do know him a little from uh, talking with him myself. Um, this would be myself personally and watching other people. So, um, you know, I've been sober over 35 years, but at, and I've seen other people go through this. So people stopped drinking and they did the work that they did and, you know, the people that I'm talking about didn't want to drink anymore. But uh, the specific issues were people who had been sexually molested, been beat up by their parents, um, so had childhood trauma, that after so many years abstinent, we all, and, you know, I can speak for myself, had things coming up that needed to be addressed, and I tried going, you know, working the steps and realized this is ridiculous, and so I sought, you know, um, a therapist and, you know, found myself a good Ph.D. and went and did the work. Um, and what I have seen is that, you know, people need to do, whether it's rage work or something, but, you know, to own it. And, I mean, obviously you didn't have any childhood trauma. Is that right? Well, that would uh, be a, an assumption on your part. No, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm, I'm not words, assuming. For me to identify my background would would uh, give everybody an opportunity to say, say, there, see, who's he to talk because of what he just said. Do you, see, do you follow what I mean? Right, I right. I keep myself obscure, and uh, I, I've, I've felt pain as a child. I've felt cold terror as a child. And these are part things that are part of life and which uh, do not cause adult problems. You know, this is a rather uh, a big contradiction to the, the, uh, the mystery of victimhood that has swept through our culture. But uh, adults, you know, ch- childhood problems are um, not down there smoldering, waiting to smite us. And people have an option to rejoice that the childhood is over or to dwell upon it and say, this is the cause of my adult problems. And if a PhD or MD says so, then that proves it. And that's, that's all the proof I need. Because then, now that you've got this doctor's excuse for the, the addiction, then there's a good reason to have these uh, uh, predisposing childhood traumas and problems. So anyone can quit an addiction, regardless of what happened when you were younger. And when you do, uh, there's a, 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 a tr- growth trajectory that is uh, almost vertical. It's, it's a very uh, uh, steep vertical incline of personal growth when you finally get your uh, decision-making together and make your mind up mm-hmm. to knock it off. Yeah. Well, well, I knocked yeah. it off almost five years ago, and it, I didn't have that almost vertical trajectory that you're talking about. It's been a slow right, right. uphill grind. Right. And, you, still, um, you are addicted and you're only sober. And sober isn't good enough in the human family. Sober is for now. Sobriety checkpoints don't care if you drink tomorrow as long as you're sober now. And you know... Well, that's, that sounds you know, a lot like AA. Sober means a day closer to my next relapse. And there is this open-endedness that uh, can be defeated, can be snuffed out, so that you can finally look at yourself. If you make the decision, and, and you can guarantee me or somebody else 
I will never drink again. Now I know I won't drink again, whether I want to or not, because there's a lot of things I won't do. I'd take a bullet first. I mean, I'm not going to be out molesting children, torturing little old ladies, uh, doing all kinds of things. I'm not going to rob banks. I guarantee you. I personally guarantee you. And our word of honor is our currency in the human family, in, in society, the civilized world. So uh, if you, when you start guaranteeing yourself and others that you'll never drink again, then big things happen inside. And I just don't think that you've guaranteed anybody that you're not going to because the, the uh, sobriety is just what it is, that you are different from others and that you are, you're still counting time, which there's no point in doing that. Because you know, if you're not going to drink anymore, why would you count time? I don't know. Nope. I guess it's something to throw in the AA, in the a, in the face of AA to say, "Look, <laughs> I did it, and you were damn wrong." Monica, are you getting any other callers? Yeah, no. I just said, um, let me see. Ask him about avert and the zero tolerance um, for minors. So you want to go back on listening, and I don't have any other callers, but. Uh, I want to thank you for calling in, Todd, and I think we'll go back, maybe answer some of the questions that are coming in from the chat room. How about we do that, Jack? All right. And, uh, Todd, nice talking to you. Before I split, yes. I want to say, yeah, thank, thank you, Jack. I wanted to thank you um, Give me just, an email. just for the small book. It was fantastic. My literary albatross. I'll have to upgrade you one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to put him back on hold so he can listen, and uh, we're just going to go. Uh, there's some questions. Okay, bye, Todd. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Um, let me see if I can. You are 530. I don't want to disconnect the wrong. Here we go. So uh, and the other thing, too, you, we had um, talked about, you talking about the new paradigm, but for, do you want to see? They said, yes, ask him about AVERT, ABRT, and the zero tolerance ultimatum for minors? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the zero tolerance in the family. This is family-centered recovery. Mm-hmm. The contrast with uh, family-centered recovery is addict-centered recovery, mm-hmm. where the uh, the addict uh, essentially says, I, "I wish that you know, even after all the trouble I've caused you, uh, my family." I, I can't guarantee you I'll never do it again. So you have to get used to the fact that this is just one day at a time, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm working on issues, and with God's help and all this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I hope I don't drink again. But don't be surprised, because I have a disease, don't you understand? And uh, this, this whole thing, where mm-hmm. it becomes all about the addict, and the family becomes mm-hmm. the solar yep. system here, Right, I, I agree with that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is family-centered, where family, the nuclear family is the law, and uh, little children are born as tiny uh, eight-pound wild animals, little meatloafs that are set to factory settings as predators, and then uh, parents domesticate the little animal to become human beings. And they teach them right and wrong, and they teach them through example what love and kindness and things like that are, honesty. And they learn a code of behavior that is uh, pro-family. In other words, the honesty is necessary and loyalty is a two-way street in the family. That has to be made clear. That the family is, uh, there's other people in the family and that you're not 
uh, uh, we, we can't stop the family because of you. The, the, uh, the family comes first. So in the um, family-centered recovery, there we, we look at addiction as a betrayal of the family, whether it's a mother or a father or a child, it is a betrayal. Mm-hmm. It is not a victimhood. It is the opposite. Yeah. And they are pe- people are drinking, especially teenagers, because it feels so damn good. And they have these new sex hormones, and then they have these street drugs and alcohol. Uh, combining into a powerful, it's almost like rocket fuel, I call it monster fuel. Mm-hmm. And you have a teen monster then who uh, has its loyalty uh, to a, a collective uh, group outside the family. And uh, that that then destroys the family from the mm-hmm. inside out. Addiction's kind of like a black hole. Yeah. And uh, an addicted person in a family will deplete all of the emotional and financial resources of the family uh, in a very short time, especially if it's a child. Mm-hmm. So uh, parents are not uh, exercising their uh, their privileges very well. They Parents have more authority than they think that they do these days, and they can become... Uh, very authoritarian about the whole idea of uh, the use of alcohol and drugs to say we don't uh, we don't you don't drink because you're not of age mm-hmm. I won't tolerate this of you because it's, it's against the law and I won't contribute to your craziness that way mm-hmm. so uh, take your chances after you are of age and we know that when people uh, have learned to function by the time they're in their 20s, uh, they at least have some footing in the adult world. And then uh, are they, they have something to go on right. and are less likely to get drawn into the subculture of drinking, which is usually a part of the addiction itself. Right. Now, we have another caller that's come in here. Do you want to take this call? Sure. Yeah. I'll take it. Okay. Let's take the call and see what we have here. Hi. You are on the line. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mr. Jackson. Yeah. Can you hear me? Hi. I can hear you very well. Yes. Good. Uh, okay. My, my name's John, Mr. Trimpey. I just want to say I'm a big fan. Uh, I've read all your books, and including you know back in from the small book and your new one, The Art of ABRT, and also some of your other stuff like the Triumph of Addiction Recovery. Uh, I want to credit you with uh, giving me the tools to essentially stop drinking. Uh, what's your plan, what's drink- your plan for the future use of alcohol and other drugs? I will never drink again, and I will never change my mind, sir. Oh, okay. Well, you sound like a person that uh, I wouldn't mind if my daughter dated. Of course, she's married now, so that would uh, <laughs> different. But you would be you're a family guy. You know, you're the kind of person. Yeah, I am enter into a trusting relationship based upon that kind of uh, assurance. So go ahead. So I do have I do have one uh one thing to point out. You have a zero t- I mean not a, sorry sorry. You have a declaration of personal indep- uh, independence on your website. Yeah. And uh, it warns to stay away from all recovery groups. 
And what we're finding out, those of us who uh, you know are in are in this anti-AA or exposing AA movement, is that a lot of these online recovery groups are as bad as the rooms. Um, and I was mm. I would like to recommend that you change that or put something on your website saying that the online recovery groups are just as bad. On your agenda, it it, it actually does. Uh, but when when you have the agenda of uh, trying to make things right. And that's a valid thing to do. Then you can you become more or less an advocate for in, informed consent, which is suppressed uh, throughout our society. The uh, right. Technical, I, the I, I've experienced this myself. Say what? I've experienced this myself, where uh, a family doctor, who's actually a member of my family, you know, refers me to this counselor. I, you know, I go to the counselor, and he, of course, tries to get me to go to AA. You know, yeah. and you know how it works. So. Mm. Right. So, in other words, the uh, medicine is not to be trusted in matters concerning addiction for the simple reason that the uh, experts in there are all old school. AA adherence, because in order to keep their licenses after they've gotten in trouble uh, with drinking or drugging, they're required to go to AA in order to stay licensed. So they become true believers as a matter of right. remaining uh, in their chosen profession. So that even, uh, even if they're not AA members themselves, I've noticed. They what? Even if they themselves are not AA members or NA members, they still go to meetings to, I don't know what. Under, see, uh, the, the medical schools are controlled by the expert committees. And so that we have a really big problem. Yeah. who actually form the medical education of physicians. So they are, right in their uh, medical schools, they're given bogus information about addiction. It's just wrong. It's flat out wrong. And, the doctor and uh, yeah, I just want to throw something out. I actually saw when this counselor, and I had to go because uh, my family was on my case and I had to do something. It was either that or treatment, which I knew was going to be AA, so I decided yeah. to do the counselor. And uh, he tried to get me to go AA, and then one day he, he stepped out of the office and I saw my file, what he had written down, and it said, you know, client is refusing to go to AA, client is reluctant to go to AA, something like that. Yeah. And I said, that's it. Forget it. I'm leaving. Mm. Uh, and he used the slogans too. So. Wow. So, um, did you finally did you let them know like about my blog and that what's going on in AA that no one is talking about except us now? Did Did you let them know that you're that therapist? I I gave him a copy of Jack Trimpey's book, uh, The New Cure for Substance Addiction. I also uh, told him to read uh, Robert J. Lifton's book, um, The Psychology of Thought Reform. Mm-hmm. And again, he just said oh, it's pr- the principles, not the personalities. And typical step talk. He's, yeah, uh, he's, that's uh, when I said, okay, you, you obviously don't care. So. This is profoundly. Uh, this, this is very unethical for him to be in a dual relationship yeah. as a medical doctor and as a uh, recruiter for his own little religious club or whatever it is, a recovery club. It's the one that he attributes his uh, career and emotional well-being to. And he's using his medical scientific credentials to funnel his patients in there. So that needs to be called to the uh, to the public. Incidentally, the California Medical Board has closed shop on the physician diversion program because of the internal corruption 
and uh, surprise, they are unable to monitor their own colleagues because they're all together. There was no protection of the public in the physician's diversion, and 12-steppers cannot uh, discriminate against their own kind. They are a, uh, mm. a huge uh, inbred uh, fraternity, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they will not rat each other out. You have to tell your sponsor about relapses, and that never goes anywhere. Protect the public. Well, this this guy that I was seeing, uh, he's in charge of a of a larger program uh, on a much larger scale of implementing uh, a type of I don't know community uh, rehabilitation thing here in this in the city, and uh, he is he's actually he's actually in charge of that. So I I, I told him, look, I've seen 16 year olds in those meetings, which you know I, I would never allow my kid in the, with those. Degenerates that are in there, you know, you have you have a lot of mm-hmm. people straight out of just slammer and they'll admit it. You know, I just, mm-hmm. you know, I beat the crap out of my wife, and here I am, you know, and uh, and again, no, he had nothing to say to that. Well, right, so, they have no standards. Just, just go and listen. Either he nor the groups have any standards of decency or conduct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that um, the, the you could p- get them to see that story about the judges in Pennsylvania who got the $2.5 million kickback, and they were sending those children, and there is a class-action lawsuit of some 400 parents, because that kid who committed suicide, right? We all saw that you know, video that went viral of the mother of the kid who went, you know, committed suicide. That was AA privatized um, minor treatment centers where they were being sent, and that's a crime. That's a criminal, uh, you know, for me, and I, I hear what you're saying. I think that it's going to take all of us that are, you know, this is separate from, you know, you, Jack, but, you know, all of us doing uh, more than, and we are, in many of us, more than just talking on the blog, but it has to be outed everywhere, and it's a big job. We're going to have to go eventually to Washington and make it illegal, and it's already illegal. You, it, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, right, said you cannot sentence somebody, but I want to make it so no minor will be allowed to sit in a 12-step meeting. There needs to be some other kind of, um, no. some, you know, it's not good. Right. Okay, let me, uh, now, Mr. Trimpey, uh there yeah. is one bone to pick with you, so just so yeah. I don't look like a true supporter, but you had some things in your new book, The Art of AVRT, regarding, uh, regarding uh, what would you call it, sexual identity disorder. Yes. And uh, and uh, I'm curious to your your stand on a zero tolerance ultimatum for minors because I have someone in my family, uh, a cousin of mine. His his parents essentially gave him a zero tolerance ultimatum because you know he was gay and they said you know change or leave and they essentially kicked him out and you know he tried to to blow his head off. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious as to in your previous book had a warning that AVRT uh, and the ultimatum was not suitable to minors, but in your new book, I I didn't see any such warning, so I I would just like you to clarify that. Well, the the zero tolerance uh, that we're speaking of has primarily to do with with adults and substance abuse. Uh, We we do include uh, sexual orientation dysphoria, or in other words, people who are unhappy with their sexual orientation. And we allow that whole matter to be user-defined. We don't define right. uh, what but it if is. But if a parent called you and said, you know, have this son or daughter, you know, whatever, would, you know, what would you tell them? 
you know, would AVRT be suitable in that situation or no? I think that the uh, everybody that people with uh, sexual error they need to look at their own sexual conduct, decide for themselves if it is a sexual error. If this is a uh, an ongoing issue in every uh, person's life, uh, is my sexuality what I want it to be? Is this the way that I want it? You know, is this an error or not? And then to uh, understand what the options are. A lot of people uh, are accepting you know, a point of view that there's a biological determinism here that is uh, not subject to uh, you know, one's, one's own uh, wishes. And that so in, can, so in, your, in your opinion, the, the zero tolerance ultimatum wouldn't be applicable in that case? Well, it, it doesn't apply if the, if the parent, like even with a substance abuser, there's a parental obligation to shelter unless uh, there is, is a justifiable uh, reason why that can't be. So if it's a, like a 14-year-old kid, you can't say, well, you're, you have beer in your breath, uh, the door's locked, sorry. Uh, you can't quite do that. So right. there are other measures that pa parents can do to be highly authoritarian with the children, you can try to reason up to a point that uh, the idea of reasoning with children is, is rather flawed in the first place. You know, there are, there's enough gray matter missing in children that uh, the ability to reason with them is often quite compromised. Right, but I can I can picture some asshole. Sorry, pardon my French. You know, reading <laughs> reading your book. You know, who's having? Because I saw I see it going on. I saw it going on in my family and say, oh, I have this this son who's uh, you know transgendered or or gay or whatever. And I read this book by this trimpy guy, and he says I should give you a zero tolerance ultimatum. So here it goes. Use it to change, or out the door you go. That's what and I want that would, clarified. That would be a misrating, but I think to let the child know that there are different ways of thinking about it, and what they tell you at school ain't necessarily so. Right, but in other words, the the new wave, you know, this whole new cultural wave that is supplanting the uh, uh, the traditions of the of history, uh, that's one way to think. And it's up to each individual to decide, well, how am I going to think? There's two ways of thinking about this. There's a human realm where, there, where moral uh, factors come into play, and then there's this other realm of, uh, you know, the biological determinism, and uh, that's, that produces another way of thinking. So there needs to be a freedom in, in this country in particular for people to choose and to say, Your Honor, I've decided that I am never going to drink again because for me it's immoral to, uh, to do that. And for me to go to AA then or any recovery group would imply that I, I, I cannot say that because they won't welcome me in the groups. Because Right, I agree with you there. Well, you're in denial of your addiction, so uh, it's a choice. And, I want to uh, say, here, just let me just say this. The social service system is trying to take away the choice of family values. We're, we're in the we're in the four minute mark, and um, I was hoping that we could talk just a little bit. I don't know about the new paradigm before you know you. Uh, we have to end the show. There's four minutes left to go. Uh, I want to thank uh, Johnny for calling in. It was nice to hear your voice. I see you on the blogs all the time. Thank you for calling in. Alright, well thank you. I will leave uh I will leave this for someone else. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Right. Trimpy. Okay. I'll nice leave you the with you. Okay. All right. Oh, bye bye. Uh
the new paradigm, we've been touching on it uh, several times. I didn't yes. call it that much, but the paradigm is that we are uh, two things. Uh, I like to ask people, are you your body? And it's amazing that people uh, who are chronically addicted or in recovery, same thing, will say, well, yeah, I, I guess that's where I am. I am my body. And there's another way of thinking, which is I have a body, and I have a foot, so I'm not a foot, and I have a, a uh, an arm, and I'm not an arm, mm-hmm. and I have a brain, and that's not what I am either, because when my brain is sleeping, or what my when, when I go to sleep, I'm nowhere. So my body's there, and uh, I disappear. So I am an identity, a self, a uh, a soul. Some the, historically it's been called I'm a soul. And uh, that is different than saying I am my body. People who say I am an addict, I am an alcoholic, are saying I am my body. I inherited in my genes my alcoholic body, and I am my body. And uh, that, of course, traps people. They, they are then entrapped by this addict identity. I am an alcoholic. I, I lose my last name. I lose my ancestral heritage in the act of saying I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm I'm Jack. I'm an alcoholic. Is my new mm-hmm. last name. Mm-hmm. No longer am I Jack Trimpey. I'm Jack. I'm an alcoholic. And it, it's a an anti-family uh, stance. So the, the new paradigm simply breaks us in two with the I-it split. I-it. I will never drink again. Although it wants desperately to keep mm-hmm. the option open. Mm-hmm. I'm not it. It wants to. Poor thing. Oh, that poor thing wants to wants to steal things and wants to touch mm-hmm. women and wants to do all kinds of things, wants to get drunk. But I don't do that because I'm a family man. I have family values. I know right and wrong. So this way we're not requiring a, a moral kindergarten or a psychological reconditioning with a, a new set of uh, families that contradict, quite frankly, family values. If you think of like uh, con- uh, irrational therapy, irrational emotive therapy, cognitive therapy, contradicts a good bit of what family values are. So um, the idea that because you're addicted you need some non-family or anti-family philosophy is just wrong because family values contain the remedy for addiction. So we don't inherit our problems like addiction. We inherit inherit the solution to our addictions in the ancestral heritage of of our original family values. Jack, so I want to thank I want to thank you for come. We're going to have to have you on again. There's a lot to cover. We have one minute left, though. So I want to thank you for calling, and um, uh, I'll have you back again. The callers, the callers were great tonight. Yes, uh, I don't you. know any of them, so uh, I kind of free wheel, and uh, there's nothing personal or intended uh, that would ruffle anybody. But oh. ADRT stings. ADRT creates discomfort. It always does, and I know right, that. Right, right, right. So uh, uh, at any rate, uh, this is in good good faith that I speak with, with all of you. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, and I'll, I'll call you in just a bit. Thank you for calling in. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi. So, really, really great show. Uh, yeah, it would have been good if we could have gotten someone who was currently addicted. 
Um, but I put the word out and didn't have anybody. So just remember that I want to say it's empowerment, not powerless. And this show is recreated. It was created to give a voice for people to speak up, speak out, like we did. We spoke up, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, good night. Thank you again. I'm Monica, and this is Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery.